on April 15, 2012, at the Coachella Music Festival, a hologram of Tupac Shakur performed with Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. The created hologram, they created that hologram because Tupac had been dead for 16 years. Now, although Disney has stated that it will not digitally recreate Chadwick Boseman for Black Panther 2, since the Tupac hologram, in addition to de-aging celebrities like Carrie Fisher, Samuel L. Jackson, and Michael Douglas, technicians have digitally recreated Roy Orbison, Michael Jackson, James Dean, and Whitney Houston. If it hadn't been for COVID-19, Dean Martin and Amy Winehouse holograms would have gone on tour, not together. Those two were going to be a test. Would people pay to see and hear an image? There's a difference between an image versus the reality. Sometimes images give us a good feel for what the reality is like. Through Christmas, we're looking at how simple shepherds in the Bible point us to Jesus, the good shepherd. The shepherds are the image. Jesus is the reality. We started in Genesis with Abel and we'll end on Christmas Eve with the Bethlehem shepherds. Our third shepherd is Moses, the guiding shepherd. Moses is one of those really good images of the reality. Jesus says in John 10, 2-7, The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus said again, truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Just as Jesus guides his people, Moses also guided God's people. We're going to examine three verses today that summarize Moses as a guiding shepherd. They're all from Exodus chapter 3, where Moses meets God at the burning bush. In these verses, God tells Moses what he will do. In Exodus 3.10, God says to Moses, Therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh, that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Because we're talking about guiding or leading, all the points we'll have today are directional. The first direction is the shepherd guides out. In Moses' time, God's people, Israel, are all living in Egypt as slaves. And they're now ruled by a pharaoh that doesn't remember that Joseph ruled and saved all of Egypt. The pharaoh simply sees this growing population as a threat and a workforce. God's people have cried out for salvation, and God has heard them. Moses is commanded and empowered to guide the people out of Egypt. This movement is out of the land or geography of Egypt. It's also out of the nation of Egypt, so the Israelites will become their own political nation. Thirdly, it's out of slavery. I'm not going to go deep into the spiritual aspect of this because it's essentially what we studied last week with Abraham saving Lot. However, from a practical and historical view, the Israelites are slaves and Moses will lead them to emancipation. It's one reason why Harriet Tubman was called Moses. Lastly, they are led out of false religion and out from under false gods. 
Every one of the plagues on Egypt is a display of power from the Most High God that he is greater than any of the gods of Egypt. Happy the God of the Nile is powerless when God turns the water into blood. Hecate, the goddess of fertility and water, who is depicted with the head of a frog, cannot stop the plague of frogs. Geb is the god of the earth. Moses strikes the dust of the earth and a plague of lice springs up from the dust that Geb cannot stop. Capri, the goddess of creation and the sun, is depicted with the head of a fly, yet she cannot stop the plague of flies. Hathor, the goddess of love and protection, is depicted with the head of a cow, yet God's plague kills all the livestock of Egypt. Isis is the goddess of medicine, but she cannot stop God's plague of boils. Nut, the goddess of the sky, cannot stop God from dropping hail like fire from the sky. Seth is the god of storms, but he can't blow away the plague of locusts. Ra, the sun god, is defeated with God's plague of darkness. And finally, Pharaoh is defeated by the death of the firstborn. In summary, they go out from the land, they go out from the nation, they go out from slavery, and they go out of the dominion of false gods. First Peter 2.9 quotes from several Old Testament passages regarding God's people and calls us a chosen race that God has called out of darkness into light. Light is where there is freedom and life. Jesus says in John 8.36, So if the Son sets you free, you will really be free. Romans 6, 6 and 7 tells us that we are freed, that tells us what we're freed from. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. Just as the Israelites were freed from false gods and slavery, Jesus also leads people now out of those same things. With quarantines and everything we've experienced, we're all probably at some point have felt the feeling of being trapped in our own homes. Sometimes a person or people just feel the need to get out. It's why so many people went to the Sturgis Motorcycle Gathering in South Dakota. But from that, COVID-19 spread, not just in South Dakota, but everywhere those people went back to. Also, one of the consequences of the pandemic lockdown is that people who are in abusive relationships, don't have a regular place to go away from home. For some children, spouses, partners, or family members, the safest place they have is not their home, but going to school or work. It's pride that makes people think that we always know the way out. And it's a lie of false gods and people who abuse power that anyone has to stay where they are unjustly imprisoned or abused or addicted. It is Jesus that always guides us out. But when a person goes out, they have to have somewhere or someone to go to. And that's our next point. Exodus 3.20 says, He, God, answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Our next direction is the shepherd guides to Even though much of the story of Moses and the people are them wandering in the wilderness, we must remember that the wandering was because of disobedience. God had a direction and destination for his people planned from the start, 
and Moses knew exactly where that place was. God has met Moses on this mountain, Sinai, speaking to him from the burning bush. And God says to Moses, bring the people back here to this place to worship me at this mountain. Moses is to lead the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of the dominion of false gods to a place where they can meet and worship the one true God, most high, where Yahweh will make a covenant with them. Now, we might think, didn't the people already have a covenant with God? Didn't they already worship God? Well, yes, but now the covenant is going deeper. It's going to be more than a covenant with their ancestor Abraham, but a covenant with them as a nation, a whole people called by God. Also, those who left Egypt were a mixed multitude of people, according to Exodus 12:38. So not everyone was a part of the covenant with Abraham or even necessarily a worshiper of Yahweh. The people also had to be led to God because not everyone was convinced of where they should go. Exodus 13:17 tells us, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said, The people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. Moses was not just leading them to a particular place, but God gave Moses a particular route. Later in Numbers 14.4, it says, So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. We'll read the full context of Numbers 14 a little later, but from verse 4 we see that the direction that some people wanted to go was backward. One of the biggest challenges for people gaining freedom is not knowing what to do with it. And it doesn't matter if the freedom is freedom from prison, from childhood, or from sin. The government, parents, and God all have a responsibility to provide direction for freedom. Otherwise, I can be free and yet still lost, which means I will probably go back to where I was before. It's like American slaves staying on the plantations as sharecroppers. The Emancipation Proclamation didn't give them anywhere else to go. We're going to go deeper into this idea in application for our final point, but for now we're going to stay in just as far as meeting with God on the mountain. Going there uh, is like us coming to Christ. When Jesus called his disciples, he gave them direction. In Matthew uh, 4, 19 and 20, Jesus says, Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. John the Baptist guided his disciples to Jesus in John 1, uh, 35 through 37. The next day John was standing with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by. He said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. Jesus doesn't just call us out of our sin. Jesus calls us to himself. John 10, 3-4, which I read at the beginning of this sermon, says, The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his, vo hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. So Jesus calls people to meet him and be led by him. There's nothing wrong with inviting someone to church. That's a good thing. But merely inviting someone to church would be like Moses inviting people to go see the mountain. 
Moses didn't invite or guide the people just to the mountain of God. He guided them to God. So then my invitation is not to guide people to Hartwood Church, but to guide them to a relationship with Jesus. The good shepherd doesn't take us to some place, but to someone. The shepherd guides us out and to. Our final verse is Exodus 3.17, where God says, And I have promised you that I will bring you up from the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Our final direction is the shepherd guides into. Meeting with God at Mount Sinai isn't the destination. Just as It's just the first stop. Abraham was promised the land of Canaan, so the covenant isn't fulfilled until the people are guided back into the land. Moses took the people to the border of the promised land, Kadesh Barnea, but in fear the people turn away. That's in Numbers 13 and 14. Here is Numbers 14, 1 through 4. The whole community broke into loud cries and the people wept that night. All the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron and the whole community told them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Instead of continuing in faith, fear moves them backward. It will take a second shepherd, Joshua, to lead the next generation into the land. When I would take people backpacking at Point Reyes National Seashore, at first people were just excited to get in the car and head to the the park. We were getting out of the city. Then we'd arrive at Point Reyes Station and the people would want to look around and in the ranger station. There were horses there and meadows. But at some point I'd have to say, we didn't come here to sit in the parking lot and hang out at the ranger station. We want to go into the forest. There's a mountain we can climb. On the other side of the mountain, there's a beach. Let's get moving to the destination. Jesus also wants his disciples to to continue to move forward in faith. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The final destination is to be with God the Father forever. In John 14, 1 through 7, Jesus says, Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord Thomas said, We don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. See, while we look forward to that final place that C.S. Lewis called Aslan's country, there's also a lot of smaller destinations along the way. A consistent theme that we find in the writings of Paul is the idea of putting off one thing and putting on another. One example is in Ephesians 4:22 through 24, where he says, 
Take off your former way of life, the old self that is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness, in righteousness and purity of the truth. People don't just need to be freed, and they don't just need a direction. People need a what. What makes this place or position or state of being better than what I had before? Like the Israelites, we often like our slavery. Exodus 16.3, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make the whole assembly die of hunger. And Numbers 11.5, we remember the free fish we ate in Egypt, along with the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. <laughs> They're still looking back. Salvation's not a one-time event. It's a continuing process of becoming freed from the remnants of the old life and replacing it with something else. Put off pride, put on humility. Put off coveting, put on contentment. Put off anger, put on peace. Put off fear, put on love. That's the kind of life I want. Next year for the season of Lent, we're going to study Peter. And I want us to think about him for a moment in closing. He was called by Jesus, not just out of fishing, but out of sin. Luke 5.8 says, When Simon Peter saw Jesus, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. But he followed Jesus. He's one of the three disciples with the closest relationship with Jesus. He experienced the healing of his mother-in-law, walking on water, the Mount of Transfiguration, and the resurrection tomb, and met the resurrected Jesus. And yet, after all this, in John 21, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And all the disciples go with him, but all night they catch nothing. Staying where we are or going backward leaves us empty. So let's move forward in faith. Today we pray from Psalm 80. Listen, shepherd of Israel, who leads Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine on Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Rally your power and come to save us. Save us with the power of the Son of Man. Then we will not turn away from you, Lord. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord, God of armies. Make your face shine on us so that we may be saved. As you reflect on this message, think of one thing that resonated with you, one thing that challenged you, one thing you want to learn more about, and one thing you will do based on what you've heard. If you've not yet responded to Jesus' call of salvation, I hope you will do so today. If you have, do something to move forward in your faith. And today I leave you with this blessing. May heaven's richest blessing come down on everyone who goes out, following the good and beautiful shepherd himself, to find the lost sheep and to love and care for them. For beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news.